can have a seat. Talk about humbling and standing before you. <laughs> I was just so excited to get up here. I couldn't wait to bring the word. Uh, well, it's not the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. I'm full of stupid things. In fact, I am really bad at directions, like, like really bad. Like, I've gotten lost using Google Maps, and I don't even think that's possible, but it has happened to me. And it's been this way ever since I started driving. Like, I remember in high school, a buddy of me went to go see Billy Joel, for you people that are younger than 20. It's really awesome. Um, and uh, the, the thing was, he was playing in Oakland, California, and I was in San Jose, California, where I grew up. So that's where my house was, and Billy was playing there in Oakland. Now, most people, when they were driving to the Oakland Coliseum, would go this route. I, however, missed an exit and went this route. <laughs> and it wasn't until literally I could see the Oakland Coliseum from across the bay going, yeah, that's where we're supposed to be. So I knew I had to exit and change directions right away if we were going to get to the show on time. And you know, when it comes to the good life, I wonder if we're going in the right direction. I mean, we all want the good life, and like we, especially parents and grandparents, we want our kids and grandkids to have and experience the good life. But I wonder if the route we're on is the right one, and I wonder if we still have time to exit and change directions. My sweet wife, Jen, and I were in Huron a couple weeks ago eating dinner at some cafe out there where they kind of have a thing out on the water, and it was so cool. Like, we live in Perkins, so we don't get out there to eat very much, and it was so neat seeing these people in their boats just, you know, driving up and out into the lake, and I was like, that is awesome. Like, that would be so fun. Like, Huron should, like, pass some kind of city ordinance that every house comes with a boat, because that is just so good. But maybe for you, when you think of the good life, it's not a boat. Maybe it's selling your boat. <laughs> maybe that's the good life for you. For others of you, maybe the good life is, you know, you think, man, if I could take my family on vacation, if we could make our yearly trek to Mecca, I mean, Disneyland or Disney World, if we could go there or, or go on a cruise, that would be the good life. Or maybe for you, the good life is having, you know, the latest uh, iPhone or having the, the best brand of shoes or having the most followers. Maybe for you, the, the good life is getting into a great school or having a good job. Or, or for you, maybe it's like, man, the good life would be celebrating 50 years, a 50-year anniversary to my spouse. That would be amazing. For some of you, you'd be like, the good life would just be dating. Just be dating. That would be a good life right there. For some of you, the good life is having a great car or a great house or having your investment portfolio quadruple in size. Or, or maybe for you, the good life is having the Browns win the Super Bowl. I don't know what it is <laughs> for you. Um, but for the great life, um, that's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about the good life these last uh, few weeks. And so let's talk about what really is, what does the good life really look like? What does the good life really look like? That's what we've been talking about. So if you want to, now if you're playing church bingo with us this morning, you can take out your bingo card and fill in the answers that we've been talking about, like uh, the good life is being poor or being meek and humble or hunger and thirsty for righteousness. You can always go listen for the Jesus answer of the good life is Jesus or praying or God. 
And it's the same way to win, across or down or across. Don't forget your gray space in the middle. Do you guys have this? Okay, well, we'll do something different then. We'll talk about Joseph. And when I say Joseph, I don't mean Jesus' stepdad, although he must have been amazing. Uh, We're talking about Joseph in the book of Genesis. Jacob, otherwise known as Israel, his son. So Jacob's story, or excuse me, Joseph's story is so long. There's no way I can cover all of it. But I'm going to try to give you the Reader's Digest version of it. And I realize just saying that there are many of you who don't even know what Reader's Digest is. So I'm going to give you the Sparks Notes version, the Sparks Notes version of Joseph. So Joseph was the second youngest boy out of 11 other boys and a girl, and he was his dad's favorite. Why do I know he was his dad's favorite? His dad made him a special coat. And when his brothers were like, hey, I'd like a coat, his dad's like, sorry, he's my favorite. I can't give you. So obviously right there, you know, there is conflict between Joseph and his brothers. His brothers hate him. They don't like him because, one, he's got the coat. Number two, the Bible records that Joseph was a tattletale. Man, if you could be in the Bible for anything, he's a tattletale. Third, he kept pulling this dream thing. He kept telling them about these dreams they had. Now, in the Old Testament, dreams weren't just like dreams. They were like foretelling the future. And so he would tell his brothers, hey, I had this dream that one day you guys are all going to bow down to me. Like... Of course a little brother has that dream, right? Because what else does a little brother have, right? He's like losing to mercy. He's like, okay, okay, but one day you're going you're gonna to bow down to me. <laughs> like, I don't think so. He even told his parents, like, hey, yeah, one day you guys are going to bow down to me. His parents are like, son, are you high? I believe that's the original Hebrew version right there if you look in the context. So one day Israel's like, hey, Joseph, I want you to go check on your brothers. What are they doing? At the herd. So the boys were out there shepherding the sheep, which is an exciting job. And they see Joseph, and they have had enough of Joseph and his dreams. And so they're like, hey, here comes Joseph. Let's kill him. Let's kill him, and there's an empty well. We'll throw his body in the empty well. Let's do it. And they're like, yes, let's do it. So Joseph comes, and like they're about to do it. And one of the brothers, Judah, he's like, hey, maybe, maybe we don't kill him. Maybe we just go with the empty well, because I like that idea. It's good. We'll just, we'll just rough him up, throw him in the well, leave him to die. We'll take his coat that we all, you know, we all hate, and we'll tear it up, and we'll cover it with some blood, and we'll bring it to Dad. We're like, Dad, your favorite son, our favorite brother, has died. You know? And they're like, okay, I, I like that idea, too. So, so Joseph comes, gets roughed up, puts up, gets thrown in the well. You can imagine Joseph, right? He's like... Hey, guys, funny, <laughs> you guys, you jokers, and hey, don't worry about that coat. I didn't really like it anyway, you know. Can I get out now? And his brothers are like, yeah, no. And then they see this group of traders coming, and they're like, hey, you know what? We could sell Joseph and get some cash for lunch. They're like, yes, let's do that. So they grab Joseph out, and they sell him as a slave. He gets taken to Egypt, where he becomes a slave of a guy named Potiphar. And Joseph works his way up, because he's such a great guy, um, works his way up to where he is running everything in Potiphar's house. He's in charge of everything and taking care of everything. And he was a stud. And ladies, I mean, he was a stud. (laughs) Like Potiphar's wife, like, kept making moves on him. He kept tempting him to spend some 
really important time together. And uh, she just kept at it. And finally, one day, Potiphar was gone. All the servants were gone. And she grabs him by the robe. And she's like, hey. You know, like, whatever, putting the moves on him. And, um, and he's like, no way. I cannot do this. I cannot do this. I, and imagine him. He went from being dead, you know, you know going to be dying in a well, to being a slave. And now he's like, he's got a pretty good life as like second in command in charge of the house. He's like, I am not going to blow this, right? So he leaves, literally runs away, leaves his coat. And of course, Potiphar's wife's like, what do I do now? So she screams. All these servants come in. They're like, what's going on? She's like, oh my word, Joseph tried to have his way with me. And, you know, everyone's like, what? Oh, my word. She tells her husband, this slave of yours, he tried to, he with me. He's like, oh, man. So they captured Joseph, have him arrested, thrown in prison. Man, this is the good life. <laughs> the good life looks awesome, right? You do the right thing, and you get put in jail. <laughs> so then Joseph is hanging out, and he hears these uh, ex-cons, or excuse me, he hears these other guys in, the, in jail, and they're talking about their dreams. Like, I had this crazy dream. Hey, me too. What did your dream mean? I don't know. What does it mean? And Joseph overhears him. He's like, hey, I know a little thing about dreams. Uh, maybe I can tell you what they are. They're like, okay, well, what do they mean? He's like, well, for you, in three days, you're going to get your job back working for Pharaoh. It's going to be awesome, man. The other guy's like, ooh, ooh do me, do me. What, what does my dream mean? He's like, well, three days, you're going to be out of here, but it's not going to be as good. <laughs> um, so three days later, the guy gets out, and Joseph's like, hey, just remember, when you get out, throw me a bone. Tell him about me. Get me out of here. And the guy gets out, and he forgets Joseph. You can imagine what Joseph's life must be like. I mean, he's saying to me, God, what did I do to deserve this? God, where are you? What is going on? What sin did I commit that made that all this happen? You know, he's thinking of the worst possible things. And he feels, he has to feel abandoned by God. God, where are you? And maybe you feel that way too. Maybe you are at a job that, that you don't like and you're just like, man, God, where are you in this thing? I don't even want to work here anymore. Where are you? Well, if you feel like that, you are not alone because Jesus felt that way too. God sent his only son, Jesus, to live a life here on earth. He lived a perfect life, never sinned, was accused of a crime he didn't commit, was sentenced to having nails run through his wrists and ankles and hung to die. And while Jesus was on the cross... He was abandoned by God, literally abandoned. So when you feel abandoned by God, know that you are in good company. We serve a God that understands what that is like. And Jesus did that. He lived the life we should have lived, and he died the death we should have died so that we never have to feel abandoned by God. We're never alone. The Hebrew writer reminds us of the promise that was given to, Jos to Joshua that that promise is also for us. God has said, Hebrews 13, verse 6, God has said, I will never leave you. I will never desert you. So we can say boldly, the Lord helps me. I will not be afraid. 
And the author of Genesis gives us a little side note that I don't think Joseph was privy to. And he tells us in the story, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. Regardless of how you feel, God is with you and will never leave you, will never desert you, will never forsake you. There's no sin big enough that could make God love you any less. He loves you, even in the midst when he, you feel like he's not there. Well, let's go back to Joseph. Two years later, <clears throat> two years later, Pharaoh starts having these dreams, and he's hiring people to interpret them for him, and everyone's afraid to give him a bad interpretation. They don't, can't really get a real answer. And so finally, the ex-con guy that had the dream, he's like, hey, I know a guy. I know a guy who knows about dreams. Yeah, he told me my dreams, and they came true. Maybe he could tell you. And Pharaoh's like, well, what are you still standing here for? Go get him, right? Okay, yeah. So he goes and gets Joseph, and Pharaoh's like, you know, hey, uh, here you can interpret dreams. And Joseph's like, well, I mean, I can't do it. God can do it, but maybe God will tell me when we tell you. And he goes, okay, I'm having these funky dreams about these heads of wheat, and then I have these cows. There's seven big cows and seven skinny cows, and the seven skinny cows eat the seven fat cows. What does that mean? And Joseph's like, I don't know, eat more chicken? <laughs> no, of course he doesn't say that, right? He's like, well, the seven fat cows represent seven years of incredible harvest. We're going to have so much food. But after those seven years, there's going to be a terrible famine. And we're not going to have enough food. So maybe, maybe you might consider rationing out some of that food and saving some. So during those seven years of famine... All our people in Egypt can eat, and then maybe if we do a good enough job, I'm sure there's going to be people from other cities coming by, and they're going to want food, and maybe we can work out a deal. They'll be trading stuff. We can make some money off this deal. Pharaoh's like, I love it. You're my guy. Do it. So Pharaoh is, or excuse me, Joseph is in charge of this huge food distribution program. Well, fast forward nine years. They've already had the seven good years. They're two years into this famine. People are lining up to, to buy food from Egypt. And in one of these lines, who does Joseph see? His brothers. Dun, dun, dun. So he sees his brothers and he's like, to his, he said, hey guys, I need you to get those guys. Get those guys, bring them into here. I'm going to talk to them over there. And they're like, okay. And like, hey, you guys need to come with us. They're like, what do we do? We didn't do anything. We're just trying to buy this stuff. And so they go into this room and they're sitting there going, what do we do? Why are we in here? And Joseph comes in, and it's been so long, they don't recognize Joseph. And Joseph is the one in authority. He's standing there, and his brothers bow down to him. And right there, it all connects for Joseph, going, my dreams. My dreams, this is it. My brothers. And all of a sudden, not just my brothers are bowing down to me, but really a realization that all throughout this time, through being in the well, through being sold into slavery, being accused of a crime he didn't commit, sitting in jail, feeling abandoned by God, he realizes God has been there the whole time. God has taken care of me. God ha has worked this whole thing out. I was never alone. God, was, God loves me. This God of the world, he cares about me. And he is so filled with joy 
He doesn't even care about his brothers. He invites his brothers into his joy. He, he kind of pulls some little funny stuff with his brothers. But after that, when he can't contain himself any longer, this is what he says to his brothers. I am Joseph, your brother whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. And, you know, right then the brothers are like, oh, my word. I, I wondered if that was, we are dead. We are going to get killed. And the brothers like, it was not my idea. They forced me to do it. You know, he's like, I need to get out of this. And Joseph, he relaxes him. He's like, but don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years. And there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. What does the good life really look like? It's the joy of seeing the very living presence of Jesus in and through your life. What does the good life really look like? It's that excitement, that feeling of love, of knowing that the God of creation cares about you. And this isn't a feeling that you can purchase. This isn't a feeling you can win. This isn't a feeling that you can earn. This is the good life, the good life that God loves you and cares about you. Let me put it into a different way. It, the good life is the joy we receive, not what we achieve. It's the joy we receive, not what we achieve. Again, it is when you can look back and see how God has orchestrated all these events in your life and brought them to fruition, and he's been throughout all of them. There's been a, a string woven through all of them, this beautiful tapestry of your life, that you have been able to see, again, the very presence of Jesus in and through your life. And this often happens more in our times of suffering. And I know some of you are like, that's great, because right now I feel like I'm Joseph in prison. I feel abandoned by God, and, and my life is not going to change after your little speech, fat boy. So I'm like, what is going on? I get it. You're experiencing incredible stuff. Again, some of you are in a job that you hate. You're like, God, get me out of this thing. I don't want to be here any longer. I've sent out resumes. I have done interviews, and nothing is happening. What's going on? Some of you guys are in a marriage, and you're unhappy. You're incredibly lonely. You want out, and you're like, God, what is going on? Why, why, why can't this end? Maybe you've lost someone. And you're not getting over it today. And you're like, why, God? Why, why is this happening to me? I want to encourage you to do this. I want you to think about a time when, when God has been faithful to you in difficult times. When was a time in your life when God was faithful to you and took care of you? Because I promise you, he will do it again. And you may not feel that way. You may not feel, I can't even think about a time when God took care of me. That's okay. Totally okay. Totally understandable. I just want to encourage you, when you're driving, when you're thinking, just think about these things. When was the time when God took care of you, when he was faithful, when he was there with you? My dad's name is Larry Stilgebauer, and he's my stepdad. My birth dad's name is Tom Bardwell. He died when I was eight months old. And I only have a few pictures of him, never met him, but I remember, don't have any memories. 
And uh, my mom was married and divorced a number of times, and when she wasn't married, there was always a guy uh, in our family. And it was sixth grade, and then my mom and I were looking at a new church, and she joined the singles group, and she met my dad. I call him my dad because he's always been my dad. Um, my dad, Larry, here's a picture of the cute couple. Oh, so sweet in our couch in our little condominium. So they uh, were in love, and they wanted to do things right, so they went to premarital counseling with their pastor, and after meeting with them a number of times, the pastor's like, you know, I have counseled hundreds of people, hundreds of couples, and I've never told anyone not to get married until now. And he was serious. He's like, you guys, I know you want to get married. It's not going to be good. You really should consider not doing it. So my parents, the middle-aged teenagers that they are, will show him. I went off on a uh, youth group uh, winter retreat, and they went to Vegas and got married. <clears throat> and you know that pastor? He could not have been more right. He could not have been more right. Are you kidding me? They fought all the time. Oh, my word. It was insane. Like, they would fight. My mom would go downstairs, and I would stroll into their bedroom, and I'd be like, so, Dad, um, when you get divorced, and he'd cut me off, Kenny, we're not getting divorced. I love your mom very much, and we're just having a hard time, but she makes me very happy. It's going to be okay. So when you guys get divorced, I want to live with you. <laughs> and that guy, man, he stayed married to my mom for over 25 years until she died about eight years ago. So crazy. And what a great dad. But what's even cooler, and I'm so grateful that God brought my dad into my life, Larry, into my life. But what's even more amazing is seeing that even those times when I didn't have a dad, that I always had a heavenly father. God was always taking care of me. What is the good life? What's the good life really like? The good life is about the joy we receive, not what we achieve. You know, our world offers us all kinds of roads to happiness, but none of those, none of those will give us the, the joy and the satisfaction that we so crave and desire. And so the next time you find yourself on one of those roads, don't be afraid to exit and change directions. God, thank you for being so good to us, for being faithful for being, never abandoning us, Lord, for loving us no matter what. You are incredible. God, for my friends that are struggling, that are hurting, that, that feel like Joseph in prison, would you just remind them of your goodness, of you taking care of them, and would they be able to trust that you are taking care of them even today when they can't see the future? We love you, Lord. We trust you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. I hope you'll come back next week with Pastor Jay and special guest Curtis Johnson from New Jerusalem Church. You're going to be here. It's going to be really great. So I hope you'll be there for that. And our uh, people in the back will dismiss you from the rear. Thanks so much, guys.